that only cost 80 million? My name is Jason. I am the manager of the very last video store in the universe, and the only thing that stands between you and utter cosmic chaos is binge movies. I just went to the movie theater. I have a reaction to a movie I just saw, which is 2023's The Creator. This is my reaction. You could say it's instantaneous, but if you were on Patreon, you'd be getting it even more instantaneously and extended. Spoilers. Galaxy Brain Thoughts, Paranoid Conspiracies, all that kind of jazz. If you like that stuff, go to patreon.com slash binge movies. If not, you're going to get this standard episode, but that's fine too. Appreciate the support. Let's get into it. On September 29th, 2023, uh, 20th Century Studios, now under the umbrella of the Walt Disney Corporation, released a film, the most recent film, by Gareth Edwards. Gareth Edwards was the writer and director of 2010's Monsters, the director of 2014's Godzilla, the director of 2016's Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and was the writer, director, and producer of 2023, The Creator, uh, which is the film I'm talking about today, obviously. Um, if you've never listened to an instant reaction before, I go to the theater, I come out, I tell you my thoughts, that's it. Um, I don't, this isn't a detailed analysis, although I might get into some of that stuff uh, for patrons over at patreon.com. But I already told you all that stuff up front, so let's just get into it. Um, everybody's going to lead off with the thing that I led off with, which is how in the world, when we have budgets of a billion dollars <laughs> or half a billion dollars, did Gareth Edwards go away seemingly without anybody noticing, create an original film? Written and directed by himself, so it's an auteur's movie, although there is a co-credited screenwriter in the film. And do it for under $100 million. And how does, how does that movie look like this does, where the vast majority of special effects are entirely convincing? Where there is a great deal of real-world physical locations, there is a great deal of real-world um, um, production design, which is augmented by cgi for sure um but there's a lot of practicality here um and at the same time there's a lot of cgi here how did he do that is it the fact that you know we could argue there aren't really movie stars in it although i would argue that john david washington and Gemma chan are at least somewhere in the ballpark of you know obviously they're not coming in the largest salaries but you you would think that they're getting some kind of money Ken Watanabe's in this, Allison Janney's in this. So is that what it is, that he focused on getting good actors, not necessarily the people who are going to, you know, open the box office, hate to say it. Um, is that where he saved the money? I don't know. I don't, I don't have any idea. But on nothing else but economics, basically aesthetic, the style, the look of this movie, there is no excuse for high concept action oriented science fiction movies or superheroes for that matter which are the bastard cousin of something like this to not be made for less than 100 million dollars you, you you cannot tell me 
you, this cannot be done anymore because this guy just did it. So the middle ground between these micro budget indie horror movies, which keep being very successful, whether they're good or not, and these spectacular blockbusters, which cost the GDP of a small nation to produce and have to clear a billion dollars and still look like shit. The middle ground is 2023 is the creator. This is it. So there are no more excuses. Now, not everybody is the director that Gareth Edwards is, but still, right? I didn't really care for Rogue One, um, but I, I love the way that it looked. And I would say if you like the way that Rogue One looks, this is aesthetically very similar. When we talk about aesthetics, um, well, let me reverse that. Scratch that, reverse it. When you talk about science fiction, you almost always have to lead with aesthetics. Aesthetics are theme. Um, because science fiction, of course, is a stand-in for the modern day. It's a modern day version of a morality tale or a morality play, right? Or a passion play of some kind. It's uh, oftentimes used to be able to convey some sort of lesson to the audience. We will get into that. But the other thing is, as the world has been imagined by production designers and futurists and science fiction authors for the better part of two centuries now, there's a great deal of the world in the last hundred years, for that matter. There's a great deal of the future and and what the world's going to be like and robots and cyborgs and AI and and war and technology and the environment and culture that has that's that's that that stuff has been visualized built shot a million times okay blade runner seemingly for about 40 years damn near bled the future dry of its aesthetic uh i would say the same goes for star wars even though that's taking place in the past obviously um 2001 a space odyssey you'll notice that blade runner is the most recent movie and all of those, and that's 40 years old. So we've been seeing a lot of the same imagery of the future for probably the last 60 years, 50 years on film. Um, in, in, in a certain sense, this is in that line. It's obviously heavily influenced by what I would have to imagine, things like Akira. That's the other one. Uh, that's the other one. So that's what, late 80s? So yeah, still 40 years at this point. Ooh, that's scary. Um, but the point is, um, this this has the feel of like manga. This has the feel of or manga. This has the feel of um, of anime to it. You very easily could have made this movie as an anime or you could very easily have convinced me that this was an anime from the 1990s. And I mean that not because it looks cartoony, but just because of its sensibilities, the way that it tells its story, it is at once very grounded while at the same time being very poetic, romantic, maybe even slightly spiritual. And that isn't just because most of this movie happens within the, within the East, at least as East, as far as the orientation is myself and the United States of America. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's just, there's, it's definitely borrowing from all of that while doing its own thing. I would say there are certain scenes of this, whether it's whether you want to call it Macross or Gundam or whatever, it's like this guy could do a Gundam movie, apparently for $80 million. <laughs> like this guy could do it. Like this guy, I don't know if he could do Voltron. I'm still waiting for that movie. Um, but he could do Gundam. Like that. It, this movie feels like parts of it, what it actually reminded me of um, 
there was this old arcade game that eventually got ported to PlayStation called Raiden. And you were, it was set in the future and you were this, in this futuristic um, stealth jet, like a fighter. And it's a, it's basically a run and gun kind of shooter. It's a, it's a shoot 'em up, uh, but it's an aerial shoot 'em up. And so like any of those movies, you collect power ups and the power ups stack on top of each other. And eventually you could build missiles and lasers and all kind of stuff that just covers the entire screen and wipes out everything in front of you. And it's not, it's meant to eat quarters because the whole ground will open up underneath you. You're flying. It's a bird's eye view. The whole ground will open up underneath you and a giant robotic tank will come out. Okay. And it'll be shooting missiles and whatever. And then a giant helicarrier will come out and it'll be shooting laser beams and whatever. And at some point, like a little Japanese fairy will appear and give you an extra life. If you collect an X amount of points and you have a, uh, two or three bombs that you can clear the screen with. I love those games. I love those sort of shooters. Like our types of shooter kind of like that, but, but it, that's um, like a side scrolling shooter. This is a bird's eye shooter. Cause it's old school arcade. There are, here's the point of that whole ramble. There's technology. There are armaments in this movie that looks straight out of an eighties arcade game like Raiden. Or the Raiden Project is what the PlayStation game was called. It was one of the big box titles, if you're that old. It was like, this is, this could be a, you could make this a Raiden movie. Like this is, or anything like that. This is so familiar and at the same time, so lived in at the same time, so unique. Um, and so to me, like, I have, I have rules about science fiction movies. And that is... If it doesn't visually pass the test, it does, the rest of it doesn't matter, right? If if the armor and the weapons and the stuff, you'll hear me say this in the upcoming season of binge movies, doesn't pass the test, then the movie doesn't pass the test. Like, Star Wars passes because stormtroopers look kind of cool, kind of goofy, but kind of cool. It's also why I don't think Spaceballs isn't, isn't very funny, because like it's making fun of a lot of things. It's like making fun of Darth Vader's helmet. Uh, Darth Vader is one of the coolest looking fucking creations ever. I'm not even the world's biggest star Wars fan. I mean, he's Darth Vader. So it's, it's like, he's a giant space robot samurai. How do you get cooler than that? I don't know. So you, you have to pass a basic aesthetics test, I guess is what I'm saying for science fiction. And this movie passes that with flying colors, all the more remarkable because it's got the low, low budget of only $80 million. Only in Hollywood is $80 million not life-changing money. That's number one. Number two, science fiction is a great Trojan horse for themes. Much like the aesthetics of the movie, it is both simultaneously familiar and unfamiliar at the same time. He, They're telling a very specific story. And I found myself, if I'm going to be honest with you, kind of waiting for the movie to get started. In a sense, like I was waiting for... A twist. I was waiting for some fresh vision of the world of science fiction. I was waiting for for Gareth Edwards in this film to. I don't know if it was like I was expecting two thousand and one, but there was a part of me that was like, "Give me something in the narrative that I'm not entirely expecting." And we eventually get there, but the movie had to kind of play itself out, and I had to adjust myself and go. 
this is not so much a movie about the twists and turns of its story as it is a movie about its characters and the humanity of those characters and the wrestling with what is it that makes us human. And so in that way, it feels almost like a more successful Christopher Nolan movie, you know, like where, where Christopher Nolan is often reaching for those themes, but there's something no pun intended, sort of cybernetic about the way that he approaches human emotion that it doesn't always land. And I would put this in closer to the ilk of like um, an inception, uh, maybe even slightly better um, at getting it itself across. That leads me to a negative though, because if it's, if it's not going to be about narrative twists and turns, if it's not going to be about um, grandiose science fiction, plot machinations uh like like uh soil and green or something like that if it's not going to have some captivating twist and it's going to be about human beings then what you do with those characters is exceptionally important and i think when it comes to the creator it feels like a trilogy of movies cut down into like two and a half hours if they told me there was a six hour cut of this movie or a four hour cut of this movie or a three and a half hour cut of this movie I would completely believe you. We have nonlinear storytelling, which bridges most of those gaps. There's, there's flashbacks kind of right where they need to be. What is left for us oftentimes, though, is there's a time jump in, in the film. A couple of time jumps, actually. And because of that, characters and their motivations and why they do what they do are very unclear because those things happen in the gaps, the things that we don't see. And there is a sense that it's, I'm trying to get around this without spoiling anything. A lot of the gaps are with supporting characters. Okay. People who are not in the entirety of the movie, like um, our protagonist. The problem is, is that when you structure a story like this, the changes in the people around your protagonist are reflective of the possibilities and changes of the protagonist themselves. The people and the, the entities that the protagonist encounters are the sort of forces that are a reflection of what potentially could be or, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's the protagonist is seeing himself in a multitude of mirrors. Okay. And has to decide throughout the course of the film, what sort of person he is going to become as he changes in what way will he change? Will he change to be like this person or will he change to be like that person or will he change to be like that person over there or this person way over there? Right. And so all of that is happening sort of uh, uh, subtextually. And then you have the actual text of the film. And I feel like for some reason, both of those get truncated in this movie to an extent. The, the subtext gets truncated because rather than us being shown or even told th- through a character expressing their inner self, why they've changed the way that they have why they were on one side of an issue and now they're on another so forth and so on rather than understand that um that feels like it's all cut out of the movie 
and be and because those characters get short shrift, if, if it feels like the choice was made to keep the movie paced well, okay, so it never really lingers in anything. This isn't a sort of science fiction movie that's like, um, oh my, well, the first Star Trek, Star Trek: The Motion Picture, where it's like we really spent a lot of money on the shuttlecraft, and so you're gonna watch it, Doc, for 25 minutes. We've really spent a lot of money on this, these set pieces. So we're going to get our money's worth and you're going to see it in grand detail because we want this to not be like the television show. There's a lot of really cool scenes that the character finds himself in. And there are two main characters find themselves in. And sometimes they're joined by other people and sometimes they're not. And, and sometimes they're being pursued and sometimes they're pursuing somebody else. And you're, and I, 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 I kept finding myself wanting to just like take a beat so I could take in this elaborate world that has been built around these people. But it's very clear from the focus of the camera and how the shots are locked that Gareth Edwards doesn't want you to care about how cool his future world is. It's almost in that way, like the anti-minority report. You know, Minority Report has all of these like big, giant, wide film noir sort of scenes right and has these really big um you can take in the whole room in almost any conversation you can take in almost the entire room you're constantly aware of your surroundings you're constantly aware you're constantly being shown ai is kind of like this in this sense this is like the anti-spielberg where it's like all of this thought and careful uh carefulness star wars kind of works the same way too uh, is put into the world behind and around these characters. Like at one point they get on a particular vessel. That's all I'll say. And I'm like, I want to know more about what this is. How does this work? What does this have to do with this thing? How does this work in this world? It's something kind of 2001 ish. And it's never explained. We never stop. It never belabors the point. We never really see beyond the perspective of, um, uh, Sorry, that's Iggy the home video dog just making clear her throat. Oh, she's on her back. Um, we never really, we never really get beyond the, the the span of a couple characters. There's there's all of this. Um, uh, okay, if I were to write a scene, <laughs> that is, this is gonna be a long one, folks. If I were to write a scene and two characters get on a train, okay. Two characters get on a train and they find their seat. I'm going to write, whether it's a train conductor or whoever else, characters that are going to speak to those people. There's going to be interactions with other people on the train because that's going to give the audience a sense of place and setting and tone. And what's the vibe on this train? Is it all business and serious? You know, is it, is it a juxtaposition between, you know, our characters are being chased and they're being pursued and they've got to get on the train and there's a stern conductor in their way, or there is a very jovial old man who it's that, you know, it, the train is feels very warm and everybody's very friendly and it's lit a certain way. And so, but we know, right. We cut back to our characters and their expressions that they're, they're tense. They're almost sticking out like a sore thumb because they're not here for a joy ride on this train. They're trying to make an escape from the villains, which are, we can just see out the window running, right? All this sort of stuff. Cut all that out. <laughs> it all gets cut out. 
And instead, we're just on the train and our two characters on the train and we're getting to the next place. And then when we get to the next place, we're cutting any excess, any fat, any filler. Sometimes you can cut down too deep. And I think sometimes this movie does that. And so we're not as able to stay, I think, consistently emotionally connected to our protagonist because his inner life is not consistently being reflected to us, the audience, in the external world. Okay. Both text and subtext. So that's where I think the movie really suffers. That's like maybe too heady, but that's. That's the only way I can describe it without describing specific scenes. I don't want to do that with this movie. What does that difference make for me? It is the difference between, in this case, a five-star film and like a four, four and a half-star film. I would probably, if I could, give this one like four and a quarter. A very strong four and a quarter. This is a very realized, very mature, not humorless and there's a couple other elements in this movie that I find very interesting. There's a lot of stuff that I want to talk about. Um, there's a couple other elements of this movie that just odd little curios that are added in that would seemingly be for comedic effect, but I think are making a larger point. And um, yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think this is an exceptional movie. I think you should see it in theaters. I think you should see it in a big screen. I think you should. You know, if if you love science fiction. I think you're going to like this movie. Is it bringing anything entirely new to the table? I would, I would say what it's bringing new is not necessarily the destination and not even necessarily all the parts of the journey, but how those parts are aligned, how this thing lines itself up and structures itself does feel sort of unique, especially unique from a live action movie perspective. So if you are a patron, this episode's going to roll on. I'm going to talk to you more about some themes and some parallels, what this movie is, potentially a metaphor for, and what it is not. If not, if you're not a patron, this movie, Incident Reaction, ends now. So if you are not a patron, binge on. And if you are a patron, hold on, because we're about to roll on. Roll on.